the other piece of it selfishly is I think it just makes life more interesting. You know, I encourage everybody to find something to get involved with. And one of the things that I talk about when I, I do my deal at, at UT is uh, network early and often. It's, I mean, it really is never too early to start. It's good for personal growth. It's good for career growth. And it's not just a one in the street. Encourage others to network with you. And we're social creatures. So I, I think uh, participation like this is kind of an instinctive prepared. Long answer, but um, I've gotten a, gotten a lot out of it. Connect. Influence. Optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel. Welcome to The Channel Channel. This is David Loftus, CEO of ECIA and host of our session today. The Channel Channel is a podcast series sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association, covering topics that are important for participants of the electronic supply chain. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Michael Knight, president of TTI Semiconductor Group. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Good to see you. Uh, I guess that's what you call this these days. Not, not, <laughs> but, uh, that, that word, we're uh, virtual meetings. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Michael, you've got a long history with ECIA as chairman from 2013 to 2017, president of NIDA, uh, ECIA's predecessor, and its foundation. And uh, thanks for your service to ECIA and our industry. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Those were uh, great years. I, it's been a few few years now since I did my rotation at the ECIA and uh, I miss it. Great, great, great group of people and it was a, a super experience. Fantastic. So we're coming into the holiday season, certainly under more unique circumstances than past years. Hope you and your family are safe. Uh, TTI has weathered the COVID storm well. Yeah, uh, we have, knock on wood. Um, I mean, we've had our fair share of uh, infections through the business, which as you'd expect being global with something like 7,000 plus people. Um, but for the most part have done pretty well. We, we took fast action up front to protect the uh, warehouses in particular, because you know, those are jobs that you can't do remotely. Um, like uh, you know, a, a lot of my job, in fact, for years I've done remotely with my travel schedule. So we, we did a lot early on to protect the warehouses uh, and that's paid off. And actually, you know, as we're ending our fiscal year, which is a calendar for us, uh, it looks like we're going to beat last year in terms of top line. So, wow, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I would say we've been pretty fortunate through all of this. Wow, fantastic. Hey, uh, you're well recognized as an industry leader and visionary. We're going to get into all that shortly. Uh, but I understand you also have some interesting hobbies outside of our business. For example, working with animal rescue and uh, rebuilding British motorcycles from the 40s and 50s and, uh, and farm tractors. Tell us a little bit about that. 
man, I, I could so easily not work. I've got a couple of lifetimes worth of hobbies <laughs> that uh, have uh, for long periods of time get neglected. But um, I, I do have uh, quite a few passions. You mentioned animal rescues, probably at the top of the list. I've got a, uh, a crazy empathy and connection with all kinds of animals imparted to me by my dogs. My wife and I have been very involved for probably 15 years now down here in Texas in a dog rescue organization. And probably the best moments of my life have been involved with uh, animal rescue. It's really cool. And I've always had a pack of dogs. But when I'm not doing that or I'm not working, I, I love spending time in a workshop. As you said, working on old motorcycles, matchlesses and Nortons. What pulls me in is the British stuff in particular. That, that stuff is all almost handmade up until the 60s. You know, the no kidding. Brits dominated the motorcycle industry with Nortons and Triumphs and just a ton of brands and marquees that most of which are gone now. But uh, that stuff was largely cast. It wasn't machines. So and they cast it, and then a guy with a file and some shims would start putting it together. Hmm. Um, but beautiful chrome tanks and very art art deco. Um, and the best part about it is I can work on that stuff myself. Now, I wouldn't touch the engine of the car that I drive, but I'll cheerfully tear into uh, one of those engines. And that kind of took me into farm tractors, 40s, 50s farms tractors. And last couple of years, uh, I find myself uh, drifting into 40s and 50s vintage pickup trucks, which are they all have one thing in common. They're all the sheet metal sculpted. They're all swoopy. And mm -hmm. you can actually tear them apart and put them back together again with uh, the tools that you have in the toolbox. So, Wow, that's fantastic. That's so important to be able to have interests outside of the business today to keep yourself sane. Well, it, it's a sense of accomplishment. You know, you go in and you work on something and you get it running and you know where you started and, and you can see where you end. You can mark the accomplishment, which is so different than what we do for a living, right? We work on things that have a longer time horizons, and there's a lot of people involved, and the accomplishments maybe come in such tiny steps that you don't really see them or feel them. Um, and so it's, it's nice to be able to check the box and say, look what I did. I got something done. It's good for the ego. It really is important. And I always encourage everybody in my circle to, you know, have a hobby, do something um, where you can chalk up a chalk up a win. That's great. That's great. Hey, uh, you know, we were talking about experience, and I thought I was well-rounded in my career, but I don't come close to you. Uh, in your career, you've had the opportunity to work for multiple manufacturers, reps, distributors also roles on the sales and marketing side and on the general management side. Uh, how do you think that's that varied experience has better equipped you to handle the challenges that you face in the office today and in the future? It's all parcel in that all of it has been super useful. I've gotten directly involved with every function in a business. So you get to see how everything runs. I got started early in a software business, developing business software platforms for electronic component distributors of all things. When you think about it in ERP, it really is the nervous system of the business. Everything connects into it and it actually 
determines how the business runs, how things flow through the business. So it's a great way to get under the hood, continue that uh, car analogy of a business. So th that's useful to me all the time. But in addition to that, having worked for pub big public companies, I can understand the challenges and pressures there. Small private companies, I did a startup in the semiconductor world at the end of the 90s that uh, got me involved in what felt like perpetually raising money and answer, answering to investors. But maybe the best part of my career was that the fact that um, through luck, it began in Silicon Valley in the 80s. So I got to see so much stuff as it started to, you know, it, it, the electronics industry in the 80s really got legs. You know, uh, desktop comp computing was uh, mainstreaming. The internet was, you know, coming along towards the end of the eighties. There was all, it, all the all this new stuff going on, and I got to be in the middle of it. Of course, at the time, not realizing how special that was, but it uh, ma made a big impression on me. And uh, early on, got me extremely uh, curious about where things were going, and that's been kind of a ever since. Uh, a common thread through you know, everything I do. It doesn't matter what the position is or what business I'm in. I'm, I, I, I keep bouncing it off of uh, what the future might look like. And, um, so that's it. But all in, I, I feel very fortunate because that's given me a kind of a well-rounded perspective. As we yeah, move. no kidding. No kidding. And we've talked about your views on the future of the industry. We share an optimism that the best days are ahead for our electronic components industry. Why do you have so much confidence in that? Uh, it's actually an, it's an easy point of view, uh, quite honestly. Um, and because you just, you know, you, you can draw a straight line from the past you know, the industry started in the, you know, call it the twenties with radio. That was the first killer app, and then, you know, TVs and then, as you move into the 50s and 60s, coming out of World War II, the computer age starts to arrive. And so you, you, you draw a straight line from that and you just see this ever-growing expansion of technology and electronic devices in our lives. And you have consumer electronics that comes along in the 70s, 80s, really starts to take off in the 90s. Um, so I, it's, it's easy to con conclude that this uh, trend is going to continue um, certainly for the rest of my lifetime, maybe for the rest of human history, especially if you buy into the notion that technology is exponential, um, and which I, I definitely do. You know, it's a, uh, it's it, that whole exponential concept is a, a bit of a, a close cousin of like Moore's law, and the first piece of an exponential curve feels very linear. And I think that's the piece that we've been traveling down so for since the inception of the industry, you know, into the call it the 2010s. So something that uh, feels like you can handle that you can extrapolate, you know, it's kind of a measured up into the right progress. But the second half of the exponential curve is when it takes off like a rocket. And uh, it's my strong belief that in the 2020s, that I think we're already on the very early stage of that, the exponential piece of the technology curve. 
and uh, it's just going to, which means it's going to be ex explosive. And that means there are going to be more and more electronic components used in the world uh, every day for as far as anyone can see. Um, so, and that's our industry. So therefore, it's easy to conclude that uh, the best days of our industry are, are still ahead of us. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's going to be any end to the killer apps that are going to continue to drive and accelerate the yeah. industry. I agreed. And they're all over the place. You know, 5G is starting to get its legs. It's super early days. They're already working on the spec for 6G. Um, the, you know, the stuff they're putting up in space, the real viability of actually colonizing another planet. Um, it you know goes on and on and on. Additive manufacturing. There's so much uh, going on that's technology based. That's um, in in some of it's enabling, uh, some of it's accelerating, um, and it's changing the way we live, the way we work right now you know, uh, through the pandemic, and you know, and who knows what the future of work looks like. Um, it's it, it's super exciting. All of that said, though, it doesn't mean that you know ten years from now, uh, companies in the electronics business are going to um, source and buy electronic components the way they do today. Um, right. Nor even that electronic components are going to be made the way they are today, or that uh, any of us will actually be around to enjoy this uh, bigger new market. Uh, that's developing um, you know that one of the things about technology and, and we've seen this interestingly enough all around us but really have yet to see it, this happen in our own industry which is that it can be extremely uh, disruptive that's the whole idea of digital disruption and what it's done in retail and all the rest of it yeah you've mentioned that before uh, many times i guess the covid is certainly changing the way that we're doing business on top of a lot of trends that were already in motion before the pandemic. Yeah, and, and thank God. Um, you know, th think about how this pandemic, as awful as it's been, would have gone without the technology that we have today. Absolutely. All of our companies' abilities to uh, send people home um, and still be get the job done, still be productive, it all enabled by technology that I honestly, even five years ago, I don't think we could have pulled it off as well as uh, generally we have. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, uh, but the, so the, their situation is changing and you mentioned the evolution of the sales role. Yeah. And that's, um, that's, there's obviously a lot of conjecture about what things are going to look like, uh, post-pandemic, and this is a, an active conversation that we have at, uh, at TTI. Um, and so one of the first things that became obvious when everybody climbed into a foxhole during the pandemic, uh, or AKA their back bedroom or wherever they set up a home office, um, is that you know our field salespeople, who by title are in the field, uh, we're not in the field, and even if they were, it's not like they were going to make sales calls at people's homes. Um, so, therefore, there's a lot of pressure on that team, you know, the external selling team that we really count on 
to find new opportunities, develop new customer relationships, and uh, be you know eyes on on a customer application to be able to connect up what the customer's needs are with what we have to offer. Um, they, in essence, that team was blinded by COVID when um, we, we forced them out of the field. So they've been uh, working on coming up with new ways to do, you know, to fulfill their task. The, the question, of course, is what happens after COVID? Um, do people go right back to the way they were? And therefore, you know, did various functions in a business like ours pick up where they left off? Or um, is it uh, COVID continued or which more likely, in my opinion, is it's going to be a hybrid where um, you know, lots of knowledge jobs work part-time remotely and part-time in an office um, because there, you know, there's, there's, there's hard and soft things associated with this working remotely. And some of the soft things are you know, very uh, difficult, onboarding, training, coaching, mentoring, um, collaboration. And, and, and we are social creatures. And I, I think all of us, uh, even the most introverted at times, need to come together mm -hmm. um, in person. So I, I think we will get to a hybrid. But so the thing we're talking about is, okay, let's assume that happens. What, uh, what does that mean for uh, the various functions that we, you know, traditional functions that we have in our business? And uh, how do we start uh, retooling, you know, uh, retraining. Um, and, and one of the things, and I know you and I had talked about this at one point, um, that I've been noodling on is this, the very notion of sales. You know, I, I think um, in our personal lives, you know, uh, the whole sales thing isn't what it once was. You know, when I ask people, Hey, do you like dealing with salespeople? Inevitably, the answer is no, not really. And what's uh, what's funny is when the person you're talking to happens to be a salesperson. I mean, you'd think, right? A salesperson would have some empathy for the the profession. Um, and this is a this is an area where technology has already uh, transformed. You know, the way we work and live and think. We've all gotten so used to buying things online, getting information you know, when we want it online. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm trying to rebuild a Magneto on a tractor, I go to YouTube and I can almost always find a really good video to kind of coach me through something no kidding. before. That's um, great. So that, what that does is starts to undermine a lot of the traditional value add of a salesperson, right? And so I think a lot of that is getting accelerated. Um, and so we're talking about, okay, we've got a, a lot of tribal knowledge, a lot of experience, a lot of relationships. How do we you know, reposition that in order to deliver our value proposition to both the customers and the suppliers, but in, in a way that is in fact valued and um, isn't, a turnoff. And I guess the punchline on this is what I worry about is having the word sales in your title has become a turnoff. Um, so that's what we're talking about. If it's if you're not going to have sales on your business card, what are you going to have? Yeah. What yeah. is the title? 
So, so what's on your list there as alternatives? Well, there's the there's the traditional stuff that some companies have already uh, switched to, you know, uh, account manager or territory manager. Um, and honestly, in the conversations we've had here, nothing has really jumped out at me. You know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm big on, uh, I don't know if it's intuition or, you know, gut feel, but there's nothing that's really grabbed me. And I felt like, ah, oh, there you go. That makes perfect sense. So, um, in a lot of it, whatever we come up with, we've got to go test it, right, with the, with the customers. And, and then within the customers, you have to, it's going to test differently with the engineering community, the buying community. Um, one of the things I've noticed is in the piece of the TTI business I'm responsible for, uh, we have an awful lot of people in our sales team who are degreed engineers. Mm-hmm. And um, so we actually have a, a pretty common title, sales engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in with a traditional mindset, you think, man, sales engineer, that's pretty special. I mean, this is a really technical, highly qualified salesperson that can speak the engineering language, you know. Um, and, uh, but what I've realized, because I've started asking the question when I talk to customer engineers, is as soon as they hit that word sales, at some level, they turn off a little um, so I, I don't think we're really getting out of that title, what we once did or what we were hoping to get out of it. Um, so I actually, it, it's, it, it's an active debate, but I personally am for, uh, getting rid of the sales world altogether. I just don't know yet what to replace it with because titles are important. You know, they set expectation, right? Um, they define scope of responsibility. Uh, it's important for the person who has the title because there's, you know, it conveys to families and friends what they do for a living. Right. Um, it, titles are are uh, extremely important and not to be, uh, you know, tampered with lightly. Agreed. Agreed. But uh, not there yet. So stay tuned. <laughs> Got it. We'll look forward to that. Hey, uh, you had mentioned that when you lecture at University of Texas and ask about who wants to go into sales, no one raises their hand. Uh, so it definitely affects the younger generation. Why do you think that many millennials are less motivated to pursue a career that you and I both found so rewarding? And what can we do to ensure that the best minds and passionate people are still drawn toward our industry? Yeah, um, I don't know is the short answer. Uh, I. You know, I get why their the sales thing is a the turnoff isn't even the right word. It was never even a consideration. I mean, at this point, literally, I've asked the question of thousands of students at uh, University of Texas, where I, I do a little guest lecturing, and um, not once have I gotten a hand raised. But when I probe on that, it's not even something that ever really crossed their mind. Now. When I ask, you know, how many of you have parents that are that sell, you know, how for a profession? I do get, I do get hands on that. So what that tells me is that uh, these people's parents who are in sales aren't encouraging their children to get into sales. So you know, maybe that's where the, the start of the disconnect uh, happens. So it's, I don't know if it's 
you know, actively not wanting to get in sales or just not understanding the potential of it. Because to your point, um, for thousands of years, it's been an, an amazing way to make a living. And, it, and it's a really interesting way to make a living. And really good sales skills are you know, transferable. You, you can uh, be successful in the pharmaceutical industry if you have a really good set, if you, if you know how to sell or electronics or, or whatever. So um, I, I just, I don't think there is a, uh, a good understanding of what it's about. And so there, because there's a lack of interest, you don't actually find much about selling on the curriculum schools either so um and uh the, the other side of it I, I think the industry has to own this too when we talk about just the selling in our industry you know for quite a while now our industry has been a net shedder of jobs as opposed to a net adder i agree jobs so um what you it's it's tough even if you actively wanted to join the industry and even in a sales capacity, um, there are, are years where you'd be hard pressed to find an opening, right? So, yeah, we've talked about it. I, with the more and more industry consolidation adds to that net loss in jobs at, at, at times and recent deals, including AMD Xilinx, uh, ADI and Maxim, uh, NVIDIA picking up ARM. Where do you think it goes over the next 10 years? And I, I guess importantly for you and TTI is, how does this complicate the life of a critical channel partner with all of the line movement? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is another thing that gets uh, talked about a lot, fretted about a lot. Um, and it's it's not just our business that gets complicated. It, the, uh, the end customer, I think they're, their life gets complicated as well because uh, absolutely all the PCNs, PDNs that they have to deal with. Yeah. And yeah. in whether they realize it or not, uh, potentially uh, loss of leverage, you know, yes. with consolidation. Absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, theoretically, one of the reasons, one of the benefits that consolidating an industry is you regain some pricing power. Um, it's a rebalancing of, of uh, equity within the industry. And it's, you know, that's one of the things that drives, uh, drives consolidation and, you know, big companies, they have better scale and, you know, on and on and on all the, all the obvious stuff. So uh, based on that, I don't see that changing. Um, there are still uh, loads of really interesting uh, middle stage uh, up and coming companies that are likely to get, uh, get absorbed. Um, so, you know, wh wh where does this go? Do you know, we, we are already at a point where you could argue, and I, I don't, I haven't seen stats on this, but 90% uh, of semiconductors are uh, manufactured and sold by uh, 10 companies, you know, maybe less. Um, so there's been an amazing amount of uh, consolidation already and concentration. And, um, and there's been ramifications for the channel, right? I mean, we're absolutely all, all aware of some of the changes that have happened as a result of this. So, um, at, you know, at the end of the day, from my viewpoint, uh, what it comes down to is uh, your value proposition has to stay sharp. Um, you've you've got to be so 
indispensable and the value you add so recognizable and so relevant that um, there's just zero consideration that you're going to get dropped when you know one of your uh, biggest supplier partners gets acquired by somebody that you don't have. Um, right. You know, but um, you know that, that said, there's plenty of examples that I, I think of where uh, a big distributor is doing a great job, still falls victim. Uh, it, you know, in in the, the M and A scenario. So, and then e even in the channel, it, it, it's largely happened already. But there was uh, a long run where tons of consolidation, a lot of really great distributors got acquired. At, at the end of the day, what it what all that meant was that suppliers and customers had fewer choices. And as on the component manufacturing side, as the OCMs uh, uh, merge. Again, people have fewer choices. True. Uh, so, uh, and and then what will happen is, you know, being big is tough. It's it's uh, not for the faint of heart. It's a lot of pressure, uh, a lot more pressure to grow a big number than a small number. Um, and then you end up with kind of these. You have to watch out for lots of things like, uh, you know, this. Um, herd mentality and you fall prey to you know, this is the way we've always done things and you have to deal with things like man we've got this massive uh base of fully depreciated assets and you know this new thing that's coming along is going to require that we uh, mothball all of this and you know reinvest and uh, it just it's tough. So that's the downside is you get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, you know, the, the laws of nature kick in and it gets very difficult uh, to sustain something the size of a brontosaurus, right? It's, right. Um, so you're really at that point dependent upon the, uh, the environment that you're operating in, continuing to grow and thrive to be able to fuel your, your growth. And, um, you know, anything that comes along to disrupt that, it's, it's, uh, it's an existential threat that, um, so it's one of the things I, I really uh, enjoyed my time working for, you know, small, medium-sized companies, just the, um, you don't actually have a lot of those pressures. You can, you know, cut and run and, and get creative and do things that in big companies, it's, it's, it's tough. Makes the day job interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, it 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 does, um, and we're we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a lot of. Thankfully, in in my opinion, um, I think twenty twenty one is going to be a really a strong year for the industry. It's already shaping up that way. This fourth quarter has been um, pretty brisk, and uh, I think it's it's going to buy us all a little bit of breathing room. Um, Agree. Yeah. So. Agreed. Yeah, I, I really like your thoughts on really keeping a unique value prop because that's what's going to really differentiate and keep people interested and on board. Yeah, it, and you know, if if we don't do it, somebody else will. That's the other uh, uh, tried and true element of business. Um, um, you know, the business history is littered with companies that once upon a time just absolutely dominated their space and then got their legs 
cut out from underneath them, you know, and they always say they were blindsided. Well, it, 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 it's that that's a hard one. It was blindsided or had they just stopped, you know, looking around to stop moving their head. Yep. Uh, but we, we've all all got to worry about that, especially in the times we're in where technology is advancing so rapidly and um, is enabling lots of disruption. A perfect example is Tesla. Look at Tesla, you know, the, the market cap they have, you know, it's, uh, they're bigger than like their next three biggest competitors. You know, they're bigger than Toyota, though they make a fraction of the number of cars that Toyota makes. And it's made Elon Musk now officially the second richest person in the world. Is you know is isn't that amazing from eBay? Incredible, to, right? Um, Incredible. But it, there's a lesson in there for for all of us. You know, ten years ago, if you had told I don't know who was running Ford at the time, Bill Ford or something, that uh, um, his company was going to be a second class citizen next to an upstart electric vehicle manufacturer, I I doubt he would have believed it. Yeah. If, if he was capable of believing it, they might have actually gotten after it, um, you know, a lot sooner instead of just a couple of years ago. So uh, there's lessons in there for all of us. There's none of us, none of us are immune from that. No kidding. No kidding. Hey, shift gears one more time with you. Um, as I mentioned in the opener, in addition to a very demanding career trajectory, uh, you also have a long record of service to our industry with past senior leadership positions in NIDA and ECIA, currently an advisor with Women in Electronics. Why has this been important to you and how do you encourage others to contribute beyond their normal, very busy day jobs? Oh, that's a big topic. Um, so part of it's, I guess, how I'm wired, but I mean, the, the truth of it is, um, it's not, you know, entirely altruistic. It's, I get a lot out of it. Um, I learn a lot from it. Uh, I love the networking opportunities. Um, I, I, I love the, it's, it's great data in. I get a lot of different perspectives and input from people. Um, and it's, you know, it's been good for my career. Some of those relationships, and, you know, later in life end up being uh, uh, very useful career standpoint. So uh, there, there's a lot of reasons why I do it. But one of the more important is because I actually am a really big believer in uh, giving back. And uh, one of the things I love about TTI is uh, this company has always been deeply committed to our industry associations and, and to our, you know, ecosystem. Um, and in, in part, it's the notion that a rising tide floats all boats mm -hmm. and so if we can help raise the tide um we we help ourselves as you know as well as we help the industry and the industry is so big and by and large uh so growth oriented um there's there's lots of room lots of space um so i i i just i love the fact that we have people contributing on for decades by committees, NIDA committees, and you know, involved with the ERA and now ECIA, and um, that we give give back. I think that's that's important. Um, 
as opposed to others in the industry who I would say more are inclined to lone wolf it. Um, you know, where you get to a certain size, you have a choice to make, right? Do I just uh, look out for myself and that gives me a competitive advantage over the smaller players? Um, and, and, you know, that, that's a tough one. There's a strong argument to be made for that as well, but it's not how I'm personally wired. So it, for me, it's been a good match with TTI because they've enabled me to, uh, you know, they support me uh, carving out some time for this kind of stuff. And the other piece of it selfishly is it, I think it just makes life more interesting. You know, I encourage everybody to find something to get involved with. And one of the things that I talk about when I, I do my uh, deal at, uh, at UT is uh, network early and often. It's, I mean, it really is never too early to start. It's good for personal growth. It's good for career growth. And, and it's not, it, it's not just a one-way street. Encourage others to network with you. And um, I, you know, we're, we're social creatures, so I, I think uh, participation like this is uh, um, it's kind of an instinctive imperative, maybe. So but long answer, but um, I've, gotten a, I've gotten a lot out of it. No, those, those are fantastic insights, Michael. Appreciate you uh, sharing that. And hey, I agree. If I, think I didn't, if I didn't think that way, I never have met you. Now, now <laughs> how incomplete right. would my life have been? How about that, <laughs> <laughs> Michael? Great to have you on our show today. Thanks so much for your insights for our listeners. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate the invitation. Okay, well, that's a wrap for today. I hope you'll all join us for our next Channel Channel interview. Thanks so much for your time to join today's podcast, and we hope all of you and your families are staying safe and happy holidays.